Well, hello, you're listening to the podcast for Word of Life in Bentonville, Arkansas, and this is episode 24. Now, I'm so glad you've chosen to tune in today as our pastor starts a series called What Happened? As he explores the time between Easter and the Passover. I cannot wait for you to dive into this with us. Now, enjoy. mentioned earlier today is Palm Sunday. It's a remembrance, a celebration of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as people worshipped him. It irritated the religious leaders, which is not difficult to do. I love the scripture in John where it says that unless a seed, I think King James says a corn of wheat, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Today I'm going to talk to you. Let's just pretend this is a Sunday school class today. And I want to bring you some things from the Word of God. But I want to warn you that I'm going to leave you hanging I'm going to give you a gift today. It's all boxed up, but you can't open it until next Sunday. I hope I can pull this off. I just can't hardly stand it. You know, you give me a gift, don't tell me I have to wait a week to open it. I'm just not that patient a person. Of course, you probably know what the gift is. But I just want you to think on this. I want you to dwell on this this week. And hopefully it will create some anticipation for next week, which is Easter Sunday. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. First of all, God created the earth and gave it over to, to mankind. We're... We were, Adam and Eve were under rulers. God gave man dominion, mankind dominion over the earth. I'm careful to say mankind nowadays because I'm trying to be politically correct. God said in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he said this, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Understand you and I have dominion. Dominion. I have dominion over my world. You have dominion over your world. People talk about the devil done this, the devil said that. Well, turn him off. Tell him to shut up. You have dominion over him. You have dominion. Let them have dominion. But then man committed high treason and he gave that authority over to Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, after God had created man and woman, Adam and Eve, 
He told them not to eat of a particular tree in the garden. They disobeyed. Verse 6 of chapter 3, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, and she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. If, if You need to understand that the woman was deceived, we'll see later, but the man was not deceived. It's when, when somebody's talking to you, it may be easy for them to deceive you, but if there's someone standing beside you looking on, they, see, they, they better see the whole picture of what's going on. And I believe that's what happened. And I don't believe Adam was deceived. And I think the real problem, Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. And they both sinned. They both done what God told them not to do. Adam, well knowing what he was doing, done it anyway. So that's where the real problem came in. For all of you that believe that women, the woman, Eve, put us in the position we're in, I don't believe that. I believe Adam was, was guilty, the guilty party, the main guilty party. <clears throat> and then in Genesis chapter 6, you understand that brought a curse on the world. Sin entered in, Satan ruled. And so in Genesis chapter 6, there's all this violence on the, on the earth. And for 2,000 years, it's just a terrible place. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. The Lord, it says the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. I'm sorry that I made them. Verse 11 says the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Again, we're talking, we're talking for 2,000 years from Adam until Noah. It's just violence on the earth, complete chaos on the earth. And God was sorry that he made it, made man because of it. Of course, I like the verse 8. After he says, I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful? So for 2,000 years up to the flood. And let me just insert this. We're on a. We're on a weekly pattern. There was Adam and Eve created in the beginning. We go 2,000 years and there's a flood. And after the flood, of course, everything is destroyed except Noah and his family and the animals they took on the, on the ark. And then the earth, we start again. We have a brand new start. Mankind has a brand new start. 
And so then mankind falls into corruption again, bad things happening. We need a redeemer. Jesus comes and so dies and is resurrected. And we'll celebrate that next week. I'm opening the box too quick, I guess. And so we get a fresh start and we start again. So we got 2,000 years, a year's uh, a day is as, as a thousand years. So we got two days, now we got four days. And from Jesus till now is 2,000 years. We got six, now we've got six days. I believe we're entering into the seventh day, which that seventh day is, a, as I spoke briefly last week, is a day where. Jesus will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and you and I will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years under him. So we're entering into that seventh year. You say, why do you believe that? It's, it's just the pattern that we're in. It's where we are in history and in, in the history of mankind. <clears throat> so we have the end of the first 2,000 years God needed legal entry back into the earth. So in Genesis 17, I don't know if these verses are on the, I don't, they may not be. But in Genesis 17, God, he needs, he needs entry because we really booted him out. Adam and Eve has booted him out and they're under the, actually living under the lordship of Satan. And in Genesis 17, verse 2, God said to Abraham, or Abram was his name at that time, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I'll multiply you exceedingly. I want to make a covenant with you, Adam. And so they enter into a covenant relationship, and this covenant relationship is where we call it the covenant of circumcision. Covenants need bloodshed. There has to be bloodshed for a covenant to be made. And so they cut, God cut covenant with Abram. And after they cut covenant, Abram had no children. And God's telling him, I'm going to multiply you and, you know, your seed, your descendants are going to fill the earth. And he listens to all that and then he says to God, but I don't even have a child. We've not been able to have children. And so God says, I'm going to give you a child. Of course, if you know the story, he waited 25 years. She was 90 and he was 100. They'd never had children. It's a double miracle. They're past the age, plus they'd never had children before. He had. He thought he'd help God out. And one of the reasons we have such a terrible mess in the Middle East is because he helped God out. <laughs> and Ishmael and Isaac are still fighting over there. But he, he, says to, he says to Abram one day in chapter 22, he says, I want you to take your son. I like this, verse 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. It wasn't his only son. He had another son. God didn't even acknowledge Ishmael. He didn't even acknowledge. You know, I get these little side thoughts. How many ever read through the Bible and you get distracted here or sidetracked here and sidetracked? That's all right. 
That's a good way to study in the Bible. The Lord will take you on side trips. Let me just say to you, you made any mistakes in life? Abraham made a big mistake, didn't he? God didn't even acknowledge it. God is not acknowledging your mistakes. He don't remember your mistakes. Now, I'm not saying if you've had a child out of wedlock, you need to act like they're a mistake and forget. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you have a sin in your past, and if there's anybody in this room that does not, we want you on the platform. But if you have a sin, God doesn't remember all that. But he said to Abraham one day, Abram, Abraham one day, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. And so he took him to the top of, I believe it's Mount Moriah that he took him to. And so he took Isaac there to offer him as a sacrifice. And, and of course, if you know the story, the angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, stop, don't, don't kill the son. I provided a sacrifice. And he turned and looked, and there was a ram, a sheep or a ram, with his horn stuck in the bushes. He couldn't get free. And so Abraham took the lamb and, and sacrificed that lamb there. But God said, I provided a sacrifice. Of course, he provided that one. But he was really looking forward to another sacrifice that was going to be coming a few thousand years later. I've said this many times before because, because Abraham was willing to give his son. It obligated God to give his son. He was, he, he was willing to give his son to God, so God was willing to give his son for you and I. And Jesus became our sacrifice. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to turn there. I think they're going to put the scriptures on the overhead. But God had a plan. God had a plan. And, you know, you will never catch God off guard. I mean, say amen. He has a plan. It's going to work. Look at your neighbor and tell them everything's going to be all right. It may look chaotic right now, personally in your life. You know, sometimes I look at our nation, the government, the other governments of the world, and I think, what a mess. What a total mess and wreck we are. I do. How many ever think that besides Pastor Bill? Yeah. Thank you for that loud applause. But I can tell you everything's going to be all right. Everything will be all right. Uh, by the way, let me just give you some hope this morning. This song we sung this morning about that trumpet sounding, it's going to sound. There are many people now that don't believe in the rapture. It's all right. Like I told a young man walking down the hallway in the church one day, he said, I, don't, I just want you to know, Pastor Bill, I don't believe like you do, do about the end times. I didn't even look at him. I just kept walking beside him, and I said, it's okay. It's all going to work out. And one of these days, I'm going to look at you and say, I, say, I told you. I told you how it was going to be. There will be a trumpet sound. We're leaving. We're leaving. For seven years, there's going to be total chaos. On, well, first three and a half years will be pretty good. Second three and a half years, there will be, you think it's chaotic now. 
the Bible says nothing's ever happened like this before and nothing will ever happen like it again. Billions of people will be killed. And then we're coming back with Jesus riding on white horses. Amen. And we're going to rule and reign on this earth. We're going to rule and reign under him. I mean, say amen. But in Ephesians chapter 3, let me, let me just paraphrase verse 9, 10, and 11. Verse 9 talks about the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. Mystery. Uh, I want to call it a secret. A secret which was from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. God had this secret or he had this, he knew what he was going to do. He didn't tell everybody. I don't know, you know, it was necessarily a secret. I don't, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't really come right out and tell everybody exactly how it's going to be for a long time. But verse 10 and 11 talks about what that secret was. Now what he accomplished in Christ Jesus, Jesus came and died. What he accomplished in Christ Jesus might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So this secret that was, that was hidden in God has now been accomplished in Christ Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's now being made known by the church. You and I, we the church, are declaring, you and I are declaring, and we are demonstrating the power of God. We are demonstrating to the world, to powers and principalities, this secret that God had all along, which was Christ in us, the hope of glory. I mean, say amen. He came to take away the sin of the world. I thank God he came and took away my sin. My sin. My, how many glad your sin has been dealt with? Your sin penalty has been paid. All of that was hidden in God, and, and there's even one verse, I forget where it is right now, but it says, if they had known, if Satan and, and those people had known what was going to happen, why this was happening, if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified him. Amen. So he, he accomplished in Christ Jesus, and it's being made known by the church See, your life, when you go home today, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to work, when you go to school, your life and your words are making declarations. You're living a lifestyle, a lifestyle. You are not burdened down. You are not weighted down with sin. You are not weighted down with guilt. You're not on your way to hell and grieving over it. You're on your way to heaven and happy about it. And people look at you and think, what is wrong with them? I can tell you what's wrong with me, not one thing. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. Get Jesus in your life. Everything will be all right. So, well, you act like you never have a problem. Of course I have problems. I have the same problems you do. Everybody else does. But I know the victorious one, and the victorious one lives in me. So my temporal problem has nothing to do with my eternal destiny. Amen. I mean, understand, the rain does stop. 
the fire does get quenched. Whatever's going on in your life, it's all right. Just hang in there, baby. I can tell you, just like the Arkansas weather, it'll be better tomorrow. You don't like it today, just hang on until tomorrow, you know. By the way, you know, with, without a death, there's no resurrection. The way I look at sleeping at night, it, it, you know, it's even referred to in the Bible. Somebody's dead while they're asleep. Every time I go to sleep, when I wake up in the morning, his mercies are new every morning. Whatever happened yesterday, it's gone. I can't do a thing about it. As bad as I was or as good as I was, it don't make any difference. It's a brand new day. And I look at, listen, I have to look at life like that every day, not just Sunday. Not just Sunday. Every day we have to get up and say it's a new day. Glory to God. I've resurrected one more time. Well, I woke up, so I might as well just go have a good day. Now, if you die, you're not going to wake up. If you truly die, you're not going to wake up. But if you wake up, well... Hey, I'm still here, so I guess I'll just get up and have a good day. And you decide. I decide. You decide what kind of day we're going to have. We, we don't let other, other people tell. We don't let the devil tell us what kind of day we're going to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of times I get in the shower, you know, and I'm, well, <laughs> then I say to myself, my spirit man says to my flesh man, shut up. You're going to have a good day today. So I start saying, well, I'm going to have a good day today. All right. I mean, you're in control. You're, you have dominion. And first of all, you have to dominate you and that old flesh. People talk about dominating the flesh and the sins. What about that beat down feeling? What about that, you know, oh, life is just terrible. No, life's not terrible. If it's that terrible, go on to heaven. It's not that terrible. It's great. I mean, say amen. How'd I get off on that? Can't take it back now. By the church, the church is going to make known to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places this secret or this mystery which was hidden in God. God promised that mankind would rule over Satan. Back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, the Lord 13, the Lord God said to woman, the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head. What are we doing today? We ought to be bruising the devil's heads. Of course, he's talking mainly about Jesus, but our life is bruising the devil's head. How many can say amen? Yeah, it does go on and say he'll bruise your heel, but I like that part where it says we're going to bruise his head. And so God promised mankind, you're going to rule over Satan. So then when Jesus comes, if you read in Matthew chapter 2, I believe it is, Herod set it up. Satan began immediately to try to kill Jesus, even when he's an infant. He may have been a year or two old at this time. But he starts trying to, to kill Jesus. 
didn't work. Matthew 4, I believe it is, Jesus is getting ready to go into his ministry, and so he goes on a 40-day fast. 40 days fast, Satan thinks this is a good time, he's hungry, I'll, I'll tempt him, I'll get him now. And so he goes to him, and first of all, he says, and listen, it's, it's important that you understand this. First of all, he, want, he, he tempted Jesus to prove himself, prove who he was. One of, the, one of the battles, struggles, troubles that a lot of people create for themselves, they're always trying to prove themselves. You don't have to prove who you are to anybody. Just be what God wants you to be. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I am who I am. Take me or leave me. I am who I am. Now, you know, I said that with a little bit of arrogance. We don't need to be arrogant about it. You know, that, that's, we just talked about a staff meeting this week about pride and people wanting titles, you know pastor, bishop, whatever. I am who I am. You don't have to call me pastor. That's just a job description. You know, that's like if you drive a truck, you're a truck driver. That's a job description. If you're an IT person, that's just a job description. That doesn't make you better than anyone else. This just says, this is what I'm called to do. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what God wants me to do. Just be what God wants you to be. You don't have to prove to the devil anything. And, and then the next temptation was, I think, more or less proving who God was. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to prove anything to Satan. Uh, I'm trying to remember now the order of what was next. Anyway, he, he keeps tempting him. And everything that Satan tempted him with, Jesus won. And so Satan left him. And so be careful how you don't, don't get into long conversations with the devil. But be, be careful what you say to people and to the devil. Be careful what you say. You just need to give them the word of God. Amen. The word of God will drive Satan off quicker than anything. All of you are arguing with him. You say, I'm not arguing. Well, you know, you have, we have these mental arguments about who we are and who God is and on and on. You don't have to do that. You don't have to. God is God. And, and oh, by the way, people that are always trying to defend God, God told me one time, you don't have to defend me. I'm, take, I'm big enough to take care of myself. I can defend me. Don't get upset. Don't get, don't get mad at people because they curse me and they, you know, what about this and what about that? And well, if there's really a God, he would have done this or he wouldn't have allowed that. You don't, have to, you don't have to do that. God told me I can defend myself. And then he told me I can defend you too. Having to say amen. But my point is Jesus won. Jesus, Satan tried to kill him. He couldn't. He tried, to, he tried to take authority over him like he did with Adam and Eve. And you might notice the three ways that he tempted Jesus was the same three ways that he tempted Eve. And it ends up in the New Testament later on where it talks about 
The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Three ways that Satan tries to get us. Three ways Satan came against Adam and Eve. Three ways Satan came against Jesus. But Jesus won. He won that battle. And then, so Satan has his plan. He develops another plan. He developed a plan, and he started working on it through the leaders. And that plan was to put Jesus on the cross. But God had a plan. How many know God always has a plan? God had a plan. Guess what his plan was? To put Jesus on the cross. So what Satan thought he was doing was actually fulfilling the will of God. Isn't it funny how Satan falls right into his own snares? So I just want to give you some things. So, of course, Jesus went to the cross. In I guess this is a Sunday school class. I can go slow, can I? In Matthew chapter 26, I just want to read you the subheadings in my Bible. Jesus is going to the cross. Subheading in verse 36 is uh, they're in the garden, the prayer in the garden. At 47, it talks about the betrayal and the arrest in Gethsemane. Now, we're we're walking Jesus uh, to the cross. And in verse 57, Jesus faces the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin court. 69 is where Peter denies Jesus. Beginning of 27, Jesus is handed over to Pontius Pilate. Verse 11 of 27, Jesus faces Pilate. 15, taking the place of Barabbas. 27, the soldiers are mocking Jesus. And 45, Jesus dies on the cross. 57, he's buried in Joseph's tomb. Now, I told you I'm going to leave you hanging, but I just want to give you some things about him on the cross. What happened on the cross? It looked like God had turned his back on on him. But we believe, and I'm sure you've heard many say, it got dark that day. Probably because God turned his back on his own son because he could not bear to see what was going on. David talked about the crucifixion like a thousand years earlier in Psalms one, or Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David prophesied about Jesus on the cross. Jesus was made sick and took our sickness. Isaiah 52, his visage 
was so marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, come on, just lift your hands, say, Lord, I thank you, I'm dead to sins. I'm dead to sin. Should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus on the cross. On the cross, he said, it's finished. He was not referring to redemption, the plan of redemption. He was talking about the old covenant. He was saying no longer will there be any need for animal sacrifices. No, no longer will there be need for uh, certain restrictions or certain punishments even for people who sin. He said, I'm taking all that punishment on me, on me. Now, don't sin because the end result will be bad. The end result will be bad of sin. But understand, God is not looking at you and me as guilty anymore. I mean, say amen. He took that away. He took that guilt. You ever heard the expression, they have a guilty complex? I no longer have a guilty complex. Because today I can say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I have a righteousness complex. How many say amen? How many have that righteousness complex? Yeah, amen. And so I'll, I'll leave you with this. I told you I was going to leave you hanging, didn't I? I'll leave you with this. What Jesus said from the cross, seven things Jesus said from the cross. It shows his humanity. It also shows his deity. First thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He looked at the thief and said on the cross and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine being on a cross, nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns, blood running down your face, your body is so beaten that you're not even, you don't even look like a human being but even in that, you can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I can't hardly take it when somebody says something bad about me. I want to spout back at them. And he's also even thinking about the thief. The thief was guilty. You could say the thief deserved to be where he was. But Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was thinking of the lost man even while he's on the cross. Dying. He's thinking about him. Third thing he said, he's thinking about mama, taking care of mama because he's getting ready to go away. He says, Woman, behold your son, looking at John. And he looks at John and says, Son, behold your mother. In other words, I'm leaving. Somebody needs to take care of her, John. He's thinking about his mother. He's thinking, first of all, He's thinking about the lost people. Father, forgive them. Then he's, then he's thinking about the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now he's thinking about his mother. His mother, because he's the oldest son, and he needs to take care of mama. 
And so he's thinking about her. And then he says to God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he said, I thirst. Then he said, it is finished. And he said, almost immediately after that, Father, into your hands I commit my soul. What a, what a powerful story. You understand in history where, as I said earlier, we're at the end of six days entering into the seventh day, 6,000 years. In 6,000 years, in 6,000 years, the greatest event in 6,000 years, the greatest of all events, I'll even say all events combined together, including the flood, including all of that, the greatest event happened right there when he hung on the cross and he died. And next week we'll open the box and see his resurrection. The greatest thing ever. Greatest story ever. The greatest story that needs to be told to the whole world. The greatest story, this secret, back to Ephesians chapter 3, this secret that was hid in God, that God had this plan, this secret plan, that you and I get to live out in this world today, we get to say with our mouth, we get to tell people this secret, we get to demonstrate this secret. I, I'm, I am no longer a sinner. I am no longer a sinner on my way to hell. I am a saint on my way to heaven. You don't have to say it that way, although you can. You could. But you can tell people what a joyful, great life this is in Christ. Just living that out. To the power, not just to people, but the powers and principalities. You know there are powers and principalities working against you, wanting to work against you right now. You can defeat them with the words of your mouth. I mean, say amen. Living a lifestyle, living a, in a way that backs that up, of course. Living this joyful life. I said this last week or week before. You know, one of the, one of the greatest things... Bad things that Christians do is just look sad. That's just a that's just a terrible reflection of God. I mean, say amen. To be sad. I know there's times things happen that kind of might bring you down, might make you sad momentarily. But to just live a life of being sad, I'm just, you know, nothing ever nothing ever to be happy about. Well, I can tell you there's a lot of things to be happy about. I am on my way to heaven. And I'm going to be happy about it. I mean, say amen. See, if I'm not, I probably don't understand there really is a hell and there really is a heaven. There really is death. There really is a, 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 a sinful life and there is a glorious life. And to get in this glorious life, I'm telling you, it's wonderful. I mean, say amen. But unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. Without a death, there is no resurrection. No resurrection. How many want that life, the life of Christ? Are you in this room right now and you never really said, yes, I want that life? I, I, I believe that 
probably most of the world, a lot of the world, they believe this story. They believe this story. More and more of them now are saying, well, they really don't think it's necessarily completely true, at least. But you know, a lot of people that they have a head knowledge, they believe the story. They believe the story. You know, it's like, I like to tell it this way. Uh, I'll just use, I'll use a different example. I heard about the ark in Kentucky. I heard about it. I read about it. I believed it was there. I've seen pictures of it. People said it was there. And I believed it was there. I had a head knowledge. But we went there and we walked through it. Takes a long time. It takes you three or four hours at least if you want to you want to really see it. Maybe longer. And you walk and you're constantly going up. And when you see that, it just gives you this, it gives you this uh yeah. There really was an ark and it really could work. They lived on it for eleven months. Yeah, it really could work because I've been there now. I've seen it. I've experienced it. So to have a head knowledge of the story I just talked about, the story of the Bible, to have a head knowledge is one thing. But until you've been there, until you've experienced it, you really aren't born again. But when you're born again, when you're born again, you experience this on the inside. It's like walking out of a totally dark room into light. It's, it's the greatest experience you'll ever have. I just talked about the greatest story ever in human history is right here in this book. The greatest story. Let me tell you, the greatest event that will ever happen in your life all other events combined, I mean, I'm talking about graduation from school. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about having children. I'm talking about having grandchildren. And now I could even talk about having great-grandchildren. All that's wonderful. But all of that combined is nothing like the experience that I had on Mother's Day, 1972, when I made Jesus I accepted him as my Savior, made him Lord of my life. If you're here today and you've not done that, I can tell you it's a wonderful life that you can have. A wonderful life. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, want me to be honest with you. You can't have a great life if you don't have Jesus. You can't. You can smile. You may have some good experiences. But you can't really have a good, a great life if you don't have Jesus. It just changes you. I mean, say amen. <laughs> well, wasn't that a great episode? If today's message touched you in any way, if you were encouraged and want to hear more of this, please make sure to click on the subscribe button and also share this message to your social platforms. While you're at it, go on over to our website, WLFAR.com, and help us continue our message by praying about giving financially to what God is doing here in Northwest Arkansas. Click on the Give tab today. We'll catch you next time on our podcast.